Have you got questions about riding the Alaska Ferry? We've got answers. Welcome to the Alaska Uncovered podcast with me, your host, Jenny Twing-Flamming. I bring you accurate, helpful, and entertaining information about Alaska travel and life in Alaska. My guest today is Danielle Doyle. Danielle has lived in Alaska for 25 years, mostly in Ketchikan, where she's the marketing manager for the Alaska Marine Highway, also known as the Alaska Ferry. Danielle, welcome to Alaska Uncovered. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me today, Jenny. I'm glad to join you. Yay. So to get started, I would love to hear how you originally got to Alaska 25 years ago. Well, I came to Alaska through tourism. I was actually working in the tourism industry in the U.S. Virgin Islands on St. Thomas, and I was working for a company called Atlantis Submarines, and we worked in conjunction with an organization called Seaborne Seaplanes, and I was invited to come and work a season uh, summer job in Ketchikan, and the rest is kind of history, kind of fell in love with it and have been here ever since. I feel like that I came for one thing and stayed for a few decades is kind of a common story when it's it comes to common. Alaska. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Danielle, tell us a little bit about the Alaska Marine Highway. Um, for those of you listening, the Alaska Ferry and the Alaska Marine Highway are the same thing and the Alaska Ferry or Marine Highway is run by the state of Alaska. So Danielle, tell us a little bit about the ferry and what makes it special. Well, I'd love to. And thanks for that uh, that designation because a lot of people do get very confused about what is the Alaska Marine Highway. So thank you for that clarification, first of all. And the Marine Highway is a transportation system kind of unique to Alaska, and it was created over 60 years ago to help provide reliable transportation between all of Alaska's coastal communities. And it started out with three men that had a vision with one small boat, and over the last 60 years, it has grown as we've added vessels and routes to the system. And today, we cover over 3,500 miles of coastline that provides service to over 30 communities in Alaska. And that also includes Bellingham, Washington, which is our southernmost terminus. So you can get on in Bellingham, which is about 90 miles north of Seattle, and you can ride directly into Alaska, either to southeast, uh, south central. And in the summertime, we service everything all the way out to Dutch Harbor in the Aleutian Islands. So it's it's quite an extensive route and provides people with a lot of access to different communities along our coastline. And it's a really unique system um, because it is actually the only marine route that is recognized also as a national scenic byway and an all-American road just due to its unique intrinsic qualities. So it's a pretty special route. Yes, definitely. That yeah, it's a riding the ferry is is a pretty amazing experience, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> How so I I don't know this. I'm curious if you go all the way out to Dutch Harbor on the ferry, how long of a sailing is that from say the nearest port or 
That's a great yeah. question. And that route actually originates out of Homer mm -hmm. um, and stops in Ketchikan along the way and multiple other communities. And it is a three and a half day sailing one way. So From Homer to um, Dutch Harbor. To Dutch Harbor. Okay. Yeah. So that's about, you know, 1100 miles in its own right. Yeah. Three and a half days, one way. And people always ask the question, well, if I get out there, how long is the ferry there? And because we are transportation and our goal is just to move people and goods through communities, we don't stay that long in a port. But in Dutch Harbor, we are usually there seven to eight hours before we turn around and come back. So a lot of people that do that route, Jenny, will actually take the ferry out one way. And then they'll want to stay in Dutch Harbor for a couple of days to see the sights or do some birding or some fishing. And then they can fly back to um, yeah. either Homer or to Anchorage. So that's a great way to kind of utilize the ferry to get out and see some of that area uh, via the water, but then just be able to extend your stay longer than the ferry actually is in port. Yes. And I feel like that is great advice actually for any port on the ferry. Like if the timing doesn't line up with what's ideal for you, you can stay longer and either take the next ferry or you can fly back or to your next destination to kind of make the schedule work. So that is great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it de definitely, you know, ferry travel definitely takes you a little bit longer. So it it doesn't fit um, into everybody's itinerary as being yeah. their main mode of transportation. So doing a combo trip like that is still a fantastic way to work it into an itinerary and you still get to experience um, some of those beautiful waterways, but, you know, maybe condense the time just a little bit. So yes. great advice. Yeah. So how is the Alaska Marine Highway or the ferry different from other ways of traveling in Alaska? I feel like you've touched on this a little, but tell us a little bit more about how taking the ferry is different from, say, driving or flying to different communities on your own or taking a cruise. Sure. You know, um, we, because we are essential transportation for Alaskans, we service a lot of the, the much smaller communities that, that travelers that are visitors to the state generally don't have access to. And a lot of these uh, small villages and communities, the only way to get there is by ferry or by small float plane in some cases. Some of these communities do not have jet service either. So it just gives people the opportunity to access a lot of the smaller, more remote areas in Alaska that may not be on a normal uh, itinerary for some folks. Um, and, you know, these are all passenger and vehicle ferries too, Jenny. So I always like to point that out. So if you're planning to do, you know, that, that big bucket list trip or your retirement trip to Alaska, and you're thinking about doing a driving vacation or bringing your RV with you, it's still a fantastic way for you to access, you know, those coastal communities or places that maybe you didn't think that you could you could get to with your RV, like Kodiak Island. Um, you know, those are just fantastic opportunities for people. And I would just always like to make sure that people know that the ferry is an option for you. Rather, you walk on as a foot passenger, you drive on with your motorcycle, your RV, or just, you know, your family family car. So lots and lots of options for you. And, you know, kind of like I touched on a little bit before, we are just the transportation. That's our main focus. So we don't mm -hmm. have any pre-planned itineraries. 
it's entirely up to the traveler where they want to go, how long they want to stay. Yes. And it's fantastic that it's entirely DIY. And then it's also more work to put together because it's entirely DIY. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. And I will point out one more thing too. This is another question that we frequently get. It's like, well, if I do a, a multi-day itinerary, well, what do I do? Do I just sleep on the deck? Most of our mainline vessels do have staterooms available for rental by uh, travelers. So if you are on board for an extended sailing an overnight, or if you just want to, um, you know, have a have a private place. If you're traveling with small children, sometimes that that's very helpful. Uh, we do have staterooms available on board as well as food service. But one of the the fun things about the ferry system is if you don't want a stateroom, you can, and we do allow you just to pitch a tent on the back deck and camp out on board. So kind of a unique thing. Uh, that is a very unique experience to do that. Um, I would just add in one tip if you're going to um, pitch a tent on the deck that you there's a lot of wind out there, even if it's there not is. windy, because there's a lot of wind from the ferry. But you can't stake your tent down with like tent poles because it's on metal. <laughs> Correct. Steel <laughs> so, decks, not so much. So yeah, and I have seen answer. some tents <laughs> flying on the on the ferry. So you definitely need something in there to weigh it down. Or I've also seen people like use duct tape on the corners, which if it's wet, that doesn't really work. But yeah, that's it. yeah it's a super unique experience to do that for sure. That is best view in the house too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, all right. So Tell us about some, you already mentioned Dutch Harbor. What are some places that or destinations that you can go on the Alaska Marine Highway that you feel like are particularly great um, locations for visitors? You know, th that's one of the questions that I get often, and it's always a little bit hard for me to answer because it's, it's kind of... Um, you know, there's so many great destinations and the yeah. ferry does actually really provide you great access to those. Yeah. Um, so it really kind of varies on what you want to do and what you want to see while you're in Alaska and what experience you're looking for. Because one of the things that I love so much about the ferry system is that every single community that we go to, Jenny, has something a little bit different to mm -hmm. offer visitors. Yeah. Um, but I would say that, you know, in Southeast Alaska, one of my favorite places that I like to, rec to recommend to people is Sitka. Yeah. I think that, you know, any any type of water activity, if you get out on the water to do some fishing, to do some kayaking, to do some whale watching, um, you know, and just other activities and things you can do there in Sitka. They have, you know, the Fortress of the Bear, the Raptor Center, you know, all of the Russian history because it was Alaska's Russian capital at one yeah. point. Um, there's just so much to see and do there. I think Sitka is a great destination, um, as well as Haines and Skagway. You know, yeah. they're smaller communities on the roadhead. So if you're doing a driving vacation to Alaska, they're really easy to access. And you can take the, the shortest route that we have on the ferry between Haines and Skagway. But if you drive it, it will take you about six or seven hours. So just right. a little tip there. Take the ferry. It'll save you a lot of time and you'll get to see both communities. So that's kind of a unique little little route for us too. But, 
you know, there's there's also some really fantastic communities up in Prince William Sound that, you know, don't get quite as much recognition because they're not visited by the big the big cruise ships or, yeah. you know, incorporated on a lot of other traveling itiner- or visitor itineraries in the state of Alaska. So, you know, Cordova to me is is another great little Alaskan town where you can just go and be um, in awe of, you know, the nature that surrounds you. So those are kind of some of my favorites. Yeah. Love that. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about Haynes and Skagway, that if you're driving a really fun little loop you can do with the ferry, you know, this is basically what you were just saying, Danielle, is like, you can drive you can drive one way and take the ferry the other if you want to like see all those roads or you can you know skip part of the road and take the ferry instead and make it more like a U instead of a loop right. um but that's a really cool i agree with you that that is an awesome place to go yeah we we that's known in alaska as the golden circle and it incorporates both Alaska and Canada. And it's just a, a very unique drive that you can do, incorporate the ferry there. And it's it got the name the Golden Circle because of course it it um it includes a lot of the history of the Klondike there out of Skagway. So yeah, yeah. it's something we always we always point out to visitors. It's a very unique little little route you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, when you were talking about Prince William Sound, I've never been to Cordova. I would love to go there. It's definitely on my to-do list of places that I want to go. Um, I also think going between Whittier and Valdez is a really cool ferry trip. It is, yeah. Prince William Sound overall is just is beautiful and you can find some fantastic outdoor recreation there. So yeah. um I always put that on people's radar. If you know you're gonna be up in the in the Anchorage area or you're gonna be in Whittier driving around, you know, a lot of RVers end up in, in Valdez because some of our biggest R V parks in the state are located there. But yeah, just some beautiful things to explore in that area and lots of yes. opportunity to get out and, and see glaciers and wildlife and and great hiking. So yes, totally agree. And the drive between Valdez and Glen Allen and between Whittier and Anchorage is also amazing. And actually that whole drive even between Anchorage and Glen Allen also. So that's another kind of cool loop. It is. It's very, very beautiful drive. Yeah. So this is kind of a logistical question, but I think it's it's a, an important one for people to think about is reservations in the Alaska Ferry. So um, what are the things that you can reserve in advance for the ferry and what are the things that you need to reserve in advance and how far ahead would you recommend people do that for like looking for a cabin, for example, or driving with a car or driving with an RV? I know that's multiple questions in one, but just about reservations in general and and when and how do people need those? Yeah. So generally speaking, our schedules are out about six months ahead of when they start. Um, sometimes that varies a little bit with us because we are a state entity and we do have to wait for for budgets to be published before we can we can put those schedules together. But 
Um, if you're traveling um, as just a foot passenger, you just want to walk on as a foot passenger and you're not going to need a cabin and you're not going to need car deck space, Jeannie, you can almost always find space available on a ferry unless there's a big event going on like the fair or brew fest or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, passenger space is almost always available. It's the car deck space and the cabins that usually sell out pretty quickly. So I always tell people as a rule of thumb, try to plan or try to book your your travel at least three months ahead of the date you'll actually be traveling. Mm-hmm. And usually that will you know, give you some, some options. If you have a really wide window in which you can travel, sometimes you can wait until a little bit later to do it. But overall, um, our car deck space tends to fill up pretty quickly. So if you're traveling with a vehicle, that's really when you want to plan three to four months ahead if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the larger the vehicle is, the more important that time is because you need more space on the car deck. Correct. That is yeah. correct. So yeah, if you're if you're traveling with you know your your uh, your motorhome, then definitely want to you know six months is not too early to start planning. So. Yes, I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. Yep. What about um, what about like kayaks and bicycles and things like that? If someone wants to travel on the ferry with those things, but not a vehicle. Um, is that possible? And what kind of reservations do people need or plan they need for that? I'm glad you asked that question, Jenny, because, you know, I I love when people ride the ferries and bring their bicycles and their kayaks on board because that is, you know, for so many of the small towns that the ferry visits, that's a fantastic way to get around. It is. And the water, the water with, on your bicycle and the waterways you know, surrounding many of these communities are, you know, world-class. You're going to see things you're not going to see just anywhere. So those are fantastic ways to travel. And you can just walk on board with those. There is a a nominal fee to bring bicycles on board as well as your kayaks, but it's certainly going to be a far more cost-effective way than um, bringing your vehicle on board with you. So don't rule that out. Keep that in mind. Okay. And do you need reservations for a bike or a kayak or can you just uh, kind of walk on with it and put it in a corner? You know, again, they, they do take up car deck space. So you probably want to going to want to call ahead to make reservations for those items as well. But, you know, they're, they're relatively small. We can usually squeeze them on, you know, a little bit uh, more uh, without as much of a lead time as, as, yeah. you know, bigger cars and trucks. So. So another question, I, I'm i thinking about questions that people frequently ask me about the ferry. Sure. And one thing that I've had a lot of questions about is pets, especially mm-hmm. dogs. Yep. And so what advice do you have? Maybe talk a little bit about what the sort of setup is for people with pets and what advice you have for people considering traveling with a pet on the ferry. Sure. So we do allow um, pets on board, but dogs and cats do have to be kenneled 
and they have to remain on the car deck or they have to be contained in your personal vehicle. They are not allowed up on the passenger decks, mm-hmm. of course, unless they are a certified service animal. Yes. Um, so if you are on the ferry for more than, let's say, a six or seven hour sailing, we do have what we call car deck calls or pet calls where the captain will allow people to go down to the car deck and tend to their pets. And at that point, you can take your pet out of your car or out of a carrier and walk them around so they can they can potty. And there's things on the on the car deck that you can use to clean up clean up after them. Yeah. Um, so those are those are just considerations. Um, you know, I always tell people if you're going to be traveling with a pet, um, try to plan your trip so that you have reasonable stops along yeah. the way so that you can take your pet. And anytime you're stopped in a port, you can take your pet off the boat and let them walk around the terminal area on the grass and that sort of thing. So they can get a little bit of exercise and, mm-hmm. you know, decompress a little bit, you know, some dogs handle it really well, some not so much. So yeah, owners know their dogs best, but I always try to make the recommendation if, if you can, please just plan your trip according to, um, you know, how long you'll be on board. Maybe it, it, re- it requires an overnight stay somewhere. So your dog can have a break yeah. instead of just being on board for that entire length of time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, another question that I frequently get about any type of boat in Alaska, whether it's a cruise ship or the ferry or a whale watching tour or anything like that, is seasickness. So, what do you what advice do you have for people about dealing with seasickness if they're traveling on the ferry? Well, um, just to be completely transparent, I get seasick. So this is something (laughs) that I deal with myself. Um, And I've traveled almost all of the ferry routes except for the Aleutian Islands and out the chain and the cross Gulf. So, you know, and I've never had a problem on the ferry. And if I have, it's been you know, for just short stretches of time. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the waters that we traverse throughout Southeast Alaska, we're traveling the inside passage, which is pretty protected, um, as well as in Prince William Sound. Um, for people who are a little bit more susceptible to seasickness, the areas that I would say you probably are going to want to avoid would be a cross-gulf voyage across the Gulf of Alaska, or perhaps from uh, Homer out to Dutch Harbor along the Aleutian Island chain. Those are mm-hmm. those are the two areas where you're going to get into more open water conditions. Going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, probably a little bit more uh, impactful for people who suffer from seasickness. So yeah. stick to stick to the inside inside areas, and you should be okay. Awesome, that is great advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things too, I think that people don't always realize is like. In the Gulf of Alaska, even if it's not stormy, there's still like ocean swell there sure. that you don't have, you know, in the inside passage. And yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, even on a nice day. So it's just, you know, that's just the uh, nature of the beast. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to know just in general, as we wrap up the fairy part before we talk a little bit about. I have a few questions about Ketchikan. Um, before before that, what just general advice do you have for visitors who are planning to travel by ferry? Or maybe another way to think about that is what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make that they could avoid? What are your kind of general thoughts about that? 
You know, that's a great question. Um, and one of the one of the, the comments that I get or the, or the mistakes, I guess, I see people try to make is they don't, especially first-time visitors to Alaska, they don't realize how big Alaska is, right? So they try to pack a little bit too much into the time frame that they have to work with. Yes. Um, so I definitely would say that, you know, if you're still you know, a working person traveling with their family and you've maybe got like 10 days to two weeks to do an Alaska trip and you want to include the ferry in some of that, that's fantastic. But I would recommend that maybe pick a region, um, maybe pick uh, focusing that time in Southeast Alaska or maybe in the South Central region or, you know, down on the Kenai Peninsula, or, or maybe, you know, if you, if you want to put some, some flights in there, you could do a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. But I think generally people just don't realize, you know, how far it is between destinations in Alaska. It does take a little time to go from community to community, especially on the ferry, as we mentioned. So just kind of, you know, try to focus your trip on one region and see the things within that region um, first. And then your next trip, you can go a little bit further and, and see some more things. I think that's that's the common mistake that I see with people. They wear themselves out because they're they're traveling so far between communities to try and fit it all in. And that's just kind of a tough thing. I totally agree with that. I, absolutely. Yes. Good yeah, advice for any kind of Alaska travel, not just yeah. the ferry, but perhaps um, especially the ferry. Absolutely. And I'll just throw in there that if, if anybody's looking to do, you know, put together some itineraries with some ferry or flights or, or however they, they want to make that itinerary work for themselves, if they go to our website, ferryalaska.com, um, on our Where We Go pages, there's a lot of community information on there for each one of the communities that we travel to, and it will give you links to the visitors bureaus and planning information. So it's a great resource uh, for you, uh, regardless of how you're going to travel. It is a fantastic resource, and I will put that link in the show notes, Danielle, so folks great. can find it. Yeah. Is there a link from that to the booking page for the ferry or should I include that as a separate link? Um, you can include it as a separate link. It's just under the reservations yeah. tab. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Great. And that also the sailing search on there, Jenny, also acts as a pricing tool. So if somebody's looking at just kind of, you know, pricing at a trip of what it might cost to go from Bellingham to Ketchikan, um, they can easily do that there. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. Great. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have a few questions for Danielle about Ketchikan, which is the headquarters of the Alaska Marine Highway. I'm Isaac Schaefer. And I am Drew West. And this is the Entrepreneur Podcast, where we as entrepreneurs have the privilege of interviewing fellow entrepreneurs and business owners here in the Pacific Northwest. And if you've ever thought about starting a business, what it takes to really be successful and crush it in that arena, you are in the right place. We release episodes every Tuesday. Check us out on the Chatter Network or anywhere you stream your podcast. Let's go. Let's go. All right. And we are back with Danielle Doyle from the Alaska Marine Highway, also known as the Alaska Ferry. 
And as I mentioned before the break, the Alaska Marine Highway is headquartered in Ketchikan. So, Danielle, I would love to ask you the three questions that I ask everyone who comes on the, the podcast about their place. Although you mentioned you also really love some of these other communities. So if you want to answer about another town or community, feel free to do that as well. Okay. So the first one is, what is your favorite month of the year in Ketchikan? Any month the sun is shining. (laughs) Yes, that's real. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, you know, definitely summer. I mean, that's when, you know, all the, all the, the visitors are here, everything's up and running and open and the sun is out and you can spot whales in the channel. So, you know, summer is, is our, is our jam here for sure. And usually, you know, if we get lucky, July is usually kind of our warmest month. So I'm going to go with July. Okay. I was just going to ask you if you could define summer for us (laughs) in Ketchikan. (laughs) It's usually July. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because people will say things about, um, you know, not just Alaska, but parts of the Pacific Northwest also. It's like, you know, what months are summer? What months are winter? You know, it's not necessarily what you would think. So, yeah, July. Okay, what is your favorite restaurant in Ketchikan? You know, that I'm going to have to say is probably Salmon Falls Resort. And mm. it's it's only open seasonally and it's way out at the north end of the road. But for me and my husband, that's a place that we love to go in the summertime. And it's not just for the food, but it's just for the setting. If you yeah. ever come to Ketchikan and you have an opportunity, I just highly recommend that you take the drive out to the north end of the road and just go out there. They have a big deck, beautiful views of the water in the channel, and you know they have a nice fire pit out there so you can sit outside and have a glass of wine and just really enjoy your surroundings. That's awesome. That sounds yeah. amazing. I have not been there, so I'll definitely have to go. Next well, time you'll have to come up. We'll go out together. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> awesome. All right. So finally, what is your favorite thing to do in Ketchikan? My favorite thing to do, I would have to say that, you know, we have some really beautiful old growth forests around us. First of all, Ketchikan is surrounded by the Tongass National Forest. Mm-hmm. And so we have some just amazing uh, walking and hiking trails here. So I love to just walk some of the trails along the beaches. Some of them, a lot of our trails here are boardwalks. So they, you know, put you up kind of right in the flora and the fauna, and you can just walk through these old growth forests. And, you know, for me, that's just, it's just a beautiful experience because you just get to see so much, um, of what's going on in the forest and it's so alive and just so vibrant. It just yeah. blows me away every time I do that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's um, it's inspiring to me, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I'm an avid gardener, too. So I, I think I take some of my inspiration from the forest. Yes. Yes. And and by the way, if you're listening and you're also a gardener, the gardens and flowers and everything in Alaska during the season when they grow is just stunning. 
Yeah, they really are. And it's, I think it's, um, it's surprising to people that, you know, there is such an avid uh, gardening um, presence in Alaska, but you yeah. know, with the long days that we have here in the summer, it is, it is a short growing season, but because of our long days, we can really pack a lot into those few months that we can, yes. we can really be productive with gardening. So yeah, it's an amazing yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today to share all about the fairy and a bit about Ketchikan as well. And to those of you listening out there, thank you for joining us for this episode of Alaska Uncovered. If you like what you heard, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. There are new epi- there's a new episode every Wednesday. Bye for now.